What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and today's episode is obviously going to be a just eulogy for the Lakers, right? Just kind of uh, saying goodbye to, you know, just a team that really turned their season around after the mid-trade, the mid-season trade, and really had a deep run, right? And and they they put up a fight throughout these four games in this sweep. Uh, they had some crazy comebacks that they weren't able to finish. They had some great moments that made you think, wow, maybe this team does have something to say about not being eliminated against the Nuggets. And then obviously the Nuggets just stayed the course throughout every game that looked like it was going to get out of hand. And the Nuggets just come out on top in all four of those games. Nuggets complete the sweep. Lakers end up getting swept. Obviously, LeBron gets sent home with not a single game under his belt in the conference finals. I want to start with just congratulating LeBron for essentially putting this team on his back in the last game, but it was a first half, put your team on your back. And second half was just, I mean, I don't know. I'll I'll get into that, but it was, it was a bad fight by the Lakers as a whole uh, in game four. And I want to say, you know, LeBron's had many bad games, many inefficient games. This is this is the most inefficient we've ever seen LeBron in the playoffs, and it's normal. He's 38 years old. I've talked about that many times on this pod. I I honestly am still impressed with his ability to just score when he wants to, uh, basically outrun guys when he chooses to. Whenever he has the energy, he clearly looks like he's the best player on the floor at times. You know, but when we're talking about the totality of a game, there's no doubt Nikola Jokic was the best player in this entire series. He's been the best player in the playoffs. And LeBron was, you know, maybe the third best player in this entire series, right? Um, You want to give that to, to Anthony Davis? I don't know. You know, I don't know. He's had a lot of bad games. Game four was another terrible no show game from Anthony Davis, other than just getting every single foul call. Uh, in that game four. So I'm going to say this about this game. The game started off and it looked to me like, I mean, it was looking like this was going to be the game the Lakers were going to take before being eliminated in Denver. Okay. Now I was under the impression that, you know, LeBron is, you know, it's going to depend on how the game starts to see what kind of Laker team we were going to get, right? Is it going to be the Laker team that just chalks it up and says, Hey man, these nuggets are still focused. They're still kicking our ass. So we're probably just going to mail it in because coming back 3-0 is just nearly impossible. Um, I was dead wrong about the start of this game. I did not think LeBron was going to just do what he did to start this half. It was the best first half that LeBron has had all season long. It's the best first half LeBron's had in the entire playoffs. He, I mean, when you're looking at just, you're looking at the, the box score and you're thinking, wow, this was an amazing 47 and 56 seconds, 47 minutes, 56 seconds that you've seen from LeBron. But in all reality, it was a first half historical performance, right? Like just looking at these first half numbers, 11 for 13 from the field, four for four from three, five for five from the free throw line. This guy had his best half in recent memory. I don't remember a first half like that from LeBron. Uh, 31 points. Obviously, he was a plus 15. 
and he had two steals, four assists, four rebounds. So, you know, definitely something looking to be wrong with his feet, right? He landed on Aaron Gordon's foot in game three. He's had some foot problems, obviously, and just, you know, body kind of breaking down because he's just older. But, you know, LeBron has an amazing first half and I'm watching this game with my fiance on the couch in our living room and we're both looking at each other like holy shit LeBron is on a mission and this is a crazy game for LeBron and the Nuggets look like they're on the ropes in game four and I definitely told my fiance hey look like this is the best I've ever seen LeBron shoot in these playoffs right now um it just in total right in terms of from the field from three from the free throw line Everything was falling for LeBron, including a crazy pass that he was trying to throw to Rui Hachimura that you're going to see in all those highlights. He tries to throw an alley-oop pass on a backdoor cutting Rui Hachimura and the ball just goes in and it was that kind of night for LeBron. And I was thinking maybe it's that kind of night for the Nuggets where the Lakers just make everything right no matter what. But, you know, I did tell my fiance uh, at the end of that first half, I said, man, this was the worst first half that I've seen the Nuggets play, and the game is still within reach, right? It was 58-73 to at the half, and I'm thinking, if this is if this is how bad the Nuggets played, and they're only down 58-73, to and it came from a historic LeBron first half, LeBron's eventually going to regress back to his average numbers, right? He's not going to shoot perfectly from three, For the rest of the game. We just know that's just not something that's going to happen. Unless it's some miracle historic game. Which the first half showed us to be. And I did tell her. I said hey man. He just did everything in this first half. He's got to be gassed. And the Nuggets are not going to stop coming at you. They're very well coached. They're very deep. And they get good looks all game long. So it's only a matter of time before. They're going to put so much pressure on your defense. And your defense collapses so much on Jokic. On those dribble handoffs with Jamal Murray. Time after time after time, the Nuggets in the first half were just missing everything. They were getting wide open threes. First half, they shoot 36% from three, which is basically league average. They shot eight for 22 from three, which is terrible. You know, Uh, obviously you're looking at Jokic, who had a, you know, quiet first half in terms of points scored, um, but an efficient one. You know, he, he did have an efficient one. He was two for three from three and he was four for eight from the field. You get a really good Aaron Gordon first half as well. Contavious Caldwell Popish, uh, poop. <laughs> Contavious Caldwell Pope is shooting really well from three. Um, and, you know, Jamal Murray even, who could not get threes to fall, but he was really good from the field in general. Uh, the only thing is just as a team, not shooting well from three, right? You get 0 for 4 from Jamal. Like I said, you get 0 for 1. Uh, from three from Bruce Brown, you get one for three from Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. with the ultimate yes, no, yes, no, yes, no type of game, right? Where he drives you crazy and then he does something good and then he drives you crazy again and then he does something good. It was so annoying to watch that, but that's just the kind of player that Michael Porter Jr. is. He's going to show you flashes of Tracy McGrady, right? And then he's going to show you flashes of J.R. Smith in in hectic mode, right? Where things are just not working and the shot selection can be terrible. The decision-making is just awful sometimes. And I would see Mike Malone, you know, he would make stupid mistakes. Mike Malone would sub him for Bruce Brown or sub him for Jeff Green, right? A little bit of Jeff Green in this game. Um... And, you know, and I was thinking, man, like, 
Like, when these Nuggets do make the finals, that is my only concern about this Nuggets team, is how bad is Michael Porter Jr. going to be? And how much ground do the Nuggets have to cover for his mistakes, right? Because not playing him is a decision that could impact you in terms of winning or losing a game because he is that good, right? Michael Porter Jr., if he's knocking down threes, just that alone, if he's not even getting to the basket, not rebounding, if he's knocking down threes, the opposing team is cooked because they have to show on an extra person because no matter how bad Jamal Murray is shooting from three, he will always demand attention because we trust him to definitely cook eventually. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is going to either have a bad night or a good night, you know, and it's going to be ugly, right? It's going to be an ugly night on a bad night. Uh, Jamal Murray, ugly night. He can still give you 20 with inefficient numbers, right? But not so much Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. might give you 14 points on like two of eight shooting. However, that's however the numbers calculate, but just the efficiency will be terrible. And, you know, and that was something that I was scratching my head and pulling my hair out just really angry watching the stupidity of some of the things that Michael Porter Jr. does. And I would see it on Michael Malone's face on the bench, just completely upset with some of the things that he would do out there. Um, The Nuggets weathered the storm. Second half comes along. I told my fiance, I said, look, all they got were open looks and they were just not falling. Those open looks eventually, unless this is a historically bad night, which it can happen. It definitely can. But eventually, you would think that these guys are just too good of shooters. Jokic eventually is going to show up. And if the Lakers weather the storm and continue their offensive, uh, you know, if, if guys start to show up around LeBron, because I know LeBron's tired after a first half like that. So this means LeBron just did all the work in the first half. And the other guys have to step up. Austin Reeves had a lot of good moments, made a lot of tough shots. Stop and pops in the mid-range. It's either a foul or, or or he's or he's scoring. He was a problem for the Nuggets, and that's one thing I will knock on Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham, to me, I'm not a fan of him. I don't like his his coaching style. I don't like his philosophies. Um, I I appreciate that he likes defense. Very important to be a defensively sound team. Um, but sometimes it's to your detriment. Sometimes you go overly defensive with your lineups and you fall behind because you're so obsessed with defense. This is an offense league. Yes, you need defense, but when you're playing against hyper elite offense, you're not going to stop them uh, for a ton of possessions. There's just going to be times where good defense gets destroyed by better offense. And if you have guys on the floor that can't score, every time you get scored on and you're not scoring, you're going to fall behind. You're going to lose a game. And you know, some of these lineups, I, I understand, you know, I, I can't blame Darvin Ham for guys just not making shots. D'Angelo Russell, awful, you know, and and I'm looking at Anthony Davis. You know, the only way he scored was at the free throw line, essentially. He had an awful game. He had an awful game. You're looking at the 21 points. Well, nine of those were free throws. That's it. You know, nine of those 21 points were free throws. So, you know, you're looking at the 14 rebounds. He got some great blocks. He was very good defensively. But Anthony Davis, you think you're he's an all-NBA talent. He's the best player on the Lakers. He's been the best player on the Lakers for long stretches in the playoffs and in the regular season at times. Uh, this can't be the type of game that we see from him where it's only defense, right? Six for 15 from the field. 
just a no-show. He just disappeared, you know, didn't have it, just didn't have it. And, you know, um, I'm going to say this, I'm going to kind of retract from my Dennis Schroeder uh, take because he shot well from three in this game, but I just wasn't a fan of there were some possessions where I'm thinking just just give it give AD more looks you know and it just wasn't happening for him 5 for 13 from the field is awful 38% from the field is unacceptable for a guard you know he shot 3 for 6 from 3 so I can't take away the fact that he did shoot well when it was needed but you know I'm looking across the board as well you know D'Angelo Russell like I said uh, 15 minutes of play basically Two for four from the field, 0 for one from three. He had a turnover. Um, he just he just was a no, just a non-factor, right? Just not really doing much. I think his his confidence was clearly shot. You know, Lonnie Walker barely plays, and he's shown some streaks, some good streaks for this team. Tristan Thompson was actually pretty damn good in the short time that he played. He got some a couple of some good bat like four points obviously but but those two those two baskets you know that dunk and and just I don't know his presence was was pretty effective you know on Jokic that body was bothering Jokic just a little bit right not enough I'm not gonna sit here and tell you Tristan Thompson was the problem solver you know but you've had Mo Bamba on this roster since the trade deadline and I get it you know he's a young guy hasn't really played in games like this um, you know, it, not not in not in a lot like in his career really. He hasn't really been playing in, in important games like that. Um, and you're you're gonna be LeBron's teammate in an in an elimination game. Um, you know, in the Western Conference Finals. And I get it. You know, maybe Mo Bob, maybe maybe Darvin Ham just said, "Hey man, this guy he just got back from injury. I can't just throw him out there in the heat of this crazy Western Conference Finals." But in my opinion, he's fresher leg than Tristan Thompson. He's definitely more athletic than Tristan Thompson. He spreads the floor potentially, right? He was shooting pretty well this season. Uh, not for the Lakers, obviously. He didn't play for the Lakers that much uh, before he got hurt. But I'm talking about on the Orlando Magic. He spread he spread the floor decently enough. Um, he's got size. He's got length, obviously. So I don't know. I think you still experiment and you throw him out there. You know, maybe you throw him out there for a couple of minutes if he's not having it. Then you throw out Tristan Thompson. But I thought that was more of like a guy in LeBron's corner type of move, right? You just throw Tristan out there. Uh, but anyways, you know, I just, you know, Rui Hachimura kind of regressed back to the guy that pe- that the Wizards fans thought that the Lakers were going to get, right, in this game. 3 for 12 from the field, which is horrible. 0 for 3 from 3. And that's about all you got, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, he gave you 10 points, but very inefficient 10 points. And he was just a no-show, right? Couldn't make shots. And this is the kind of guy, I'm not saying that this is the the production that the Wizards fans thought the Lakers were going to uh, get from Rui, but it definitely wasn't what Rui has been in the playoffs for these Lakers, which he's been a great role player for the Lakers, and that's not who the Wizards thought that they, that they traded away, right? Like, they thought that this was probably somewhat of the Rui that they were giving up, right? Because he just didn't really pan out in Washington. Anyways, just to go back a little bit to that first half with the Nuggets... The Nuggets were playing against the refs in the first half. No question about it. The Lakers were getting every single foul call in that game in the first half. In the first half, right? Michael Malone gets a technical because he's livid at the calls. Jokic is getting pulled. He's getting shoved. He's getting held. It's just there's a ton of fouls happening that aren't being called. And I'm fine with allowing physicality, but 
if you're allowing Jokic to get shoved, then you better allow Anthony Davis to get shoved. That was not what was happening. AD was getting every single call on the other end. Jokic is getting hammered and not getting calls. I just want to say um, that obviously changed at the second half. It was definitely way more balanced. And the Nuggets started to knock down shots. Lakers just couldn't show up around LeBron. LeBron didn't have it in the second half either. So this was a first half effort by LeBron, which was amazing. But in the second half, you could tell he just had nothing left. You know, he started, he shot three threes, didn't make a single one. Um, You know, four for 12 from the field. He just wasn't having it. And at the end of the game, we get that iconic, uh, oh, LeBron never, never takes over. He's never Kobe. He's never MJ. All those conversations. He takes it to the basket to try to tie the game. And it doesn't happen. You know, Nuggets end up winning. They win by two. And it was it was an awesome game, honestly. Like, an awesome second half. I was not a fan of the first half. I was really mad at the way the officiating was going. Um, I wasn't mad at the way the, the Nuggets were just missing shots. But it doesn't help when one team's getting all the calls and the other one is just fighting for their lives against these bad ref calls. It's 113 to 111 to end this game. The Nuggets just another resilient game for them. You know, a game that starts ugly, a game that starts where things are not in their favor and they end up winning the game. You know, Jokic had a huge, huge game. 11 for 24 from the field, 3 for 6 from 3. He's getting to the free throw line. He gives you 30 points, 13 assists, 14 rebounds. He gives you 3 blocks. And he had 5 fouls, by the way. Like, you know, people are going to complain, you know, they should have attacked Jokic more. You know, he played, I think he played like three, four minutes with five fouls, which is mind-boggling if you're Darvin Ham. Guys, can we just attack Jokic as much as possible and get him out of the game? Why wasn't that an emphasis? I, for the life of me, I can't. I can't understand that. Um, I think I've talked enough about this Nuggets-Lakers game. We obviously get uh, LeBron kind of taking away from... The spotlight that's on the Nuggets, basically announcing in that post-game presser that he's going to think his future through, like just his basketball future. I think it's a bunch of cap. I think that LeBron is, let's be honest, he's he has a super high ego. This is a guy that loves the spotlight. He loves the attention. And I say that with all the respect. You know, I, I, I like LeBron, one of the best players, top two, maybe top three player of all time. Uh, career-wise, it's debatable that he's had one of the best top three careers in the NBA. And, you know, let's keep it 100. Like, he he loves attention. You know, he definitely loves attention. And and for anyone to assume that he's just going to retire in the offseason and not have a farewell tour, I highly, highly doubt that. I just, I don't believe in a million years that LeBron's just going to retire the way Tim Duncan did, which was like just in the offseason, just like, yeah, by the way, I'm just done. Right, like that's not that's not how LeBron rolls, you know. LeBron likes the big spectacle. He likes to be celebrated. Remember, he he passed Kareem in scoring, and it, this is like in the middle of the third quarter, and it's just a big party. It's a celebration, and the game's not even over, you know. And there's a many there's many other examples of LeBron just definitely, um, you know, kind of orchestrating uh, some moments in his career, whether he's losing a game or not. So I would say. There's no way that he that he retires in the offseason. I just I just think he's going to do the whole Kobe thing, the farewell tour thing that we've seen from a lot of other players. 
you know, in their careers. So that's where I'll go with that. I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. I'm going to actually, um, a lot, sometime this week, maybe even on the weekend, I'm going to do some, some what happens next, right, for some of these teams that have been eliminated. Um, I want to keep this strictly about the playoff games for now. So moving to the Celtics Heat game four, which I thought was just going to end in a sweep by the Heat. I was dead wrong. This game was ugly at first. Then it was pretty good for the Celtics, right? Like, it was kind of like I wasn't sure, right? Because you're never sure about the Miami Heat. Like, if you're facing the Heat, no matter how bad they look, it never feels like the game is out of reach. And that's exactly how it felt. That's exactly how it went. And, you know, the the Celtics eventually just, you know, they kept making shots. The Heat just kind of regressed back to the regular season team that they were. Bam disappears. He loses his aggression. Jimmy Butler's missing a lot of shots that he typically makes. Um, not getting as many foul calls. He lives with foul calls. I mean, Jimmy Butler gets so many foul calls. It's pretty incredible to see. Like, he definitely gets fouled. I'm not saying that he gets a friendly whistle. Well, Jimmy Butler gets a friendly whistle. He He's officially entered that category of the LeBrons, the KDs, just guys that just get the benefit of the doubt from the refs like (laughs) Jimmy Butler lives at the free throw line sometimes Um, he gets a ton of calls and to be fair he finishes through all the contact so that's what makes it kind of frustrating for an opposing team and an opposing team's coach to see him just constantly draw contact and finish and get the whistle it's it's uh you know it's definitely a skill we've seen it from the all-time greats Jimmy Butler's definitely uh up there with some of those dudes but um you know I'm just looking at a, a game by the Heat that just looked like, I mean, it looked good. And then, it, I mean, it just looked like it was going to be an ugly game that the Heat were going to somehow pull out of their hat again and just end up sweeping these Celtics. Um, obviously, I was dead wrong. The Celtic, and it's funny because the Celtics in the first half, they were not shooting well from three either. They shot 36%, which was nine for 25, right? 18 for 40 from the field. Not great, you know, and and I'm looking at, you know, turnovers for them. Eight turnovers in the first half. You know, it's it was just looking like another one of those games. And I got to say, man, you know, Jason Tatum catches life, right? He find he finds some life in the second half of this game. 11 for 15 from the field. He drops 25 in the second half. Three for five from three. The three start raining for these Celtics, right? Second half comes along and they just shoot 45% from three, which is hyper elite, um, 56% from the field. So everything just started to look good for these Celtics. And it started to look like a snowball effect, right? Just, you know, Grant Williams is, hits a couple of open threes. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon was not good in the second half. He actually barely played uh, in the second half, but you know, Jalen Brown, not good. You know, I, I made a post Uh, on my personal account, which is Vic underscore all day. If you want to follow it, I made a post on my story today about how bad he's been in this series. And he made all NBA second team, which he definitely deserved. He was on my second team, all NBA. He's been terrible in this series. And in this game, seven for 16 from the field, one for five from three, two for five from the free throw line there was a free throw trip where he almost airballed twice in a row he hit the front of the rim and it missed second shot he hits the front of the rim and it missed again 
he almost airballed both of those in a row. Back-to-back close airballs. I don't know if that has to do with his elbow situation. I don't know what's going on, but he is not playing well, you know? And I swear, if he didn't recover some of the major times that he has uh, he lost the ball, he would have way more than just one turnover here. You know, it, you're, when I look at the box score, I'm seeing one turnover, but this guy loses the ball like he gets paid to lose the ball, right? It's just, I don't know what's going on with him. He looks checked out. He looks way out of it. He has looked terrible, you know? And, and by the way, because he made All-NBA second team, he's eligible for $295 million right? The Supermax next season. So, I mean, do you pay him? My guess is if you're the Celtics, you kind of got to pay him because of what he gives you throughout the regular season. And he gives you these moments that tell you, hey, yeah, he definitely deserves it, right? Especially as a shooting guard, you know, not many shooting guards out there that have his wing versatility and things like that, you know, gets to the basket, very physical player. But, you know, when he shows you this, it makes you think, you know, what do you do? You're going to Celtics are going to have to sign him no matter what and then figure out what they want to do with him if they lose this series, which I fully expect them to lose this series. Um, but the Celtics end up winning this game and all of a sudden, you know, things are starting to kind of shift. Right. And that normally happens when a team that's against the ropes wins one game. You know, especially a team with this much talent, this much depth compared to the Miami Heat. You know, Heat shoot, let's see, uh, as a team from three, 25%, right? Nothing was falling for the Heat from three. And that's kind of who they were in the regular season. So my concern, if I'm a Heat fan, is, holy shit, is this the end of our hot streak? Is this the end of our snowball effect? Like, like has our talent finally come back to earth right like what we have has it finally hit the wall and have the Celtics finally actually shown up um I don't know the answer to that I will say this though if anyone's gonna come back from a 3-0 deficit the Celtics can definitely do it especially when you're looking at roster for roster what is more believable in the history books when you're picking teams to come back from 3-0 this is one of those teams that can definitely do it you know, I, like I said, it would not surprise me. I just, I just think, you know, Horford finally three for seven, right? 42% from three, five for 10 from the field. He gives you 16 points. Like shots are falling for these guys in this game. But what concerns me if I'm a Celtics fan is man, we're living and dying by these threes. You know, we were better defensively. So that's a good sign, but living and dying by threes, the heat, if they stay locked in defensively and the Celtics have a bad shooting night, it's over, right? Like, it's over. And I don't know what's going to happen, you know? Do I think the Celtics win at home? I'm going to book it and say yes. I think the Celtics win at home. I think the crowd is going to be insane because I'm sure the Boston Celtics fans thought that this series was over when it was already 3-0 and they had to play a fourth one in Miami. Now they get an extra game to watch in the playoffs. They get to watch their 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 pride Celtics, right? Like their their pride and joy. Uh, Celtics are on the ropes. They get to play a game at home. I think the Celtics come out on top. I don't know what happens after that. Like the pressure grows immensely on Miami to close out at home if they lose in Boston tomorrow. So I I'm gonna go with crowd energy. I'm gonna go with 
mini snowball effect, right? A little bit of momentum. Celtics saw all their shots fall last night. Maybe that continues. Their confidence starts to build up, right? Similar to Miami Heat's snowball effect throughout these playoffs. Maybe they snowball now. Momentum swings a little bit. And then turn the pressure back on Miami. Can Miami win in Boston? Yeah, they've already done it twice. Why wouldn't they be able to do it again? You know, who knows? You know, but if you ask me, I'm taking Boston tomorrow night at Boston. And I guess we'll have the conversation on whether I think they would win game six or not. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, that's going to do it for this one. This is the All Things Basketball podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always. And I'll catch you guys on the next one. We'll be right back.